0: This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today, I am joined by L Grover Fricks to finish out this series by turning our attention to two figures in the book of Revelation.
1: That's right. Uh, they're probably familiar to us, uh, but sometimes they kind of get passed over in the way that we read Revelation of, well, okay, that's a little odd, but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> on to chapter 21 right <laughs>
0: there's a lot of weird stuff in revelation so there you know. is
1: there is <laughs> so many helicopters but um Bama listeners know no better but uh we're gonna slow down and really take our time in these passages together so let's dig in we're gonna start um with revelation 17 Get, uh, get, you know, the sketchier content out the way and then get to uh, a little bit more positive, happy content to finish out the series. Sound good? Sounds great. Great. What do you read for us, Revelation
0: 17? And I'm reading from the RSV this time because Elle has grown weary of me saying in RSV UE, which, to be fair, I have grown weary of it as well. So here we are <laughs> in the RSV. Then one of the seven angels who had... The seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who is seated upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and with the wine of whose fornication the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and bedecked with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus." So far, so good. Yes. Cruising. (laughs) When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is to ascend. Okay. All right. right. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) The beast that you saw was and is not and is to ascend from the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to behold the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Indeed, it does. (laughs) That is that is why I'm looking to you in a moment. Um, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. Mm -hmm. And when he comes, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to perdition. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. If you could only be king for one hour. (laughs) (laughs) What would you do? Uh, These are of one mind and give over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters that you saw where the harlot is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the harlot They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and giving over their royal power to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city, which has dominion over the kings of the earth.
1: So the word Lord. Uh, I have to confess that when you were making allusions to my wisdom, which was very kind, I was trying to think of a way to make a Marvel joke about why Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) So not really the height of wisdom.
0: (laughs) You know, I can roll with that. This, (laughs) this passage does contain, uh, my revelation curiosity. Um, what, what was the language that he used? Um, Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Um, And so that's translated different ways. But I think there's four different times that that set of four things occurs. But every time it occurs in Revelation is in a different order. Which I've always been intrigued by. And I... Suspect that that's not why you're here today (laughs) to answer my question, but I just want to point out that that is still in my mind.
1: Alas, yes, I I have no answers. That is very curious. Thanks for pointing it out. I'm sure someone will scamper down that little path you just laid out.
0: I mean, I pointed it out when we went through Revelation in session four and nobody got back to me. It's been a
1: while.
0: It's (laughs) fine.
1: Uh, okay, so this is a curious uh, chapter, right? It has some kind of dubious content, right, uh, that we might not normally preach about on Sundays. Uh, and then also, it's one of those interesting places where it contains an interpretation, right? Like sometimes Jesus tells a parable, and then right after he's like, this is actually what it means. Um, but then there's still questions, and we're like, well, that doesn't really explain it everything the way I kind of hoped for. (laughs) Um, so we're going to do the thing that we like to do where we presume that, you know, the text is inspired. Wow. And so the, (laughs) the details matter (laughs) and that the original recipients of the text, um, had some idea about what was going on. Right. Um, All of these things meant something to them. So we're going to dig into some of these details and see what we can see. But how do we usually uh, talk about this female character, Brent?
0: How do we typically talk about her?
1: Yep. What's she about? What's this passage about?
0: I mean, she's a terrible person.
1: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) She's bad.
0: Uh, All sorts of abominations and fornications and all the shuns
1: all the asians yeah you're bad one you're in asian territory um yeah absolutely um everybody can enjoy their own little uh if you have a subtitle at the head of your pericope um there'll be some pretty interesting renderings of who she is um there and so we're going to do a uh, a little bit of a different angle surprise surprise than um, then we might be used to. But the typical reading, just to lay it out, um, is that this woman represents Rome and Babylon, right? That's why it says Babylon, that's kind of the archetypal evil empire. Um, and we've got like the seven hills represent Rome. And so this is all about the um spiritual seduction of empire, of moving people away from following God to following this dominant world world system. Um, And she emblemizes, emblemizes, is that a word? Symbolizes? uh, Material gain, greed. Um, You know, she's dressed in these crazy, this very uh, luxurious outfit, right? And so it's about seeking out the base desires and vanity over the needs of the oppressed minority, right? That's kind of our typical reading. And it's not, you know, completely without merit. Um, I'm not going to throw out all of that there. Um, I'm just going to try to turn our attention to a couple of different details and help us think maybe a little bit more um, with more complexity about this character. Um, I'm not trying to go through and take all of like the bad female characters in the text you know and be like actually they were really good jezebel's like my hero <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's not
1: that's not the vibe that's not the intention but well,
0: I, and to be fair nobody forgets about jezebel
1: nobody forgets. She gets about brought jezebel. up all the time she does <laughs> yeah she's uh quite quite the character um but, okay, so if she, if this character is all about seduction, right, on a spiritual level, of course, um, I I want to f- kind of interrogate that idea first, firstly, um, if she is supposed to be this person person who's magnetizing um, God's people to herself, and that's why she's kind of evil. Um, Her posture is interesting because she's stated as doing what? What's she actually doing in this this pericope, in this section?
0: she's sitting on the beast
1: yeah she's sitting there <laughs> uh can you read proverbs 3 5 rather 3 through 6 proverbs 5 3 through 6 um and this is about the woman of folly um that we've referenced in previous episodes who does epitomize you know uh seductive behavior what's she doing in those verses
0: For the lips of a loose woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not take heed to the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it.
1: Right. Okay. So she's pretty active in this section. There's lots of other sections we can look at, but she's talking, you know, she has smooth words that then turn out to be poisonous. She's walking or running on this path um, to, you know, basically hell and uh, abjuring or saying She's paying no heed, I think that translation said, to the paths of life. So that's pretty active comparatively. And other spots, she's like uh, languid in a doorway, calling out to the people passing by in contrast to the woman of wisdom who is standing right in all these different spots also calling out. So she's a pretty active character. She's doing stuff. She's asking people to pay attention to her. She's leading them in bad paths. Right. And in contrast, this woman is just sitting there. Um, (laughs) So, Which is interesting. So uh, we're going to talk more about the beast in the next section because um, he shows up in Revelation 12 as well. So just focusing on the details of this particular woman. Okay, so she's sitting. um, She's wearing robes, right? She's clothed in purple and scarlet. Um, Purple, of course, is what color?
0: Uh, Well royalty i guess but i'm also seeing a lot of like tabernacle sort of stuff spoiler for josh's series that hasn't (laughs) come out yet but
1: yeah there are some colors there um you know tabernacle obviously predates um imperial rome um only coming up after caesar uh but so she's wearing this imperial color which was outlawed for quite some time um before Uh, before people just really wanted to wear it because, you know, classism and wanting to be fancy. And so eventually enough people were squeaking by that they were like, fine, other people can wear it. But um, she's wearing an imperial color because this is a Roman image, right? And then she's also wearing scarlet. Um, So... The way that you could make that color was by mining cinnabar. Um, all of the mining at that time was done by slaves, by uh, prisoners of war that had been taken from the Roman conquest, right? That's why ancient Rome was continually expanding, because they were um, adding to their slave population, which their economy was built on. Which, sidebar, by the way, um, normally... I am like, Wikipedia, 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 it's the best starting point. Like, it's got so much good stuff in there. Um, When I was in school, especially undergrad, you know, everyone was like, don't trust Wikipedia. And it's like, no, Wikipedia is great. Um, However, whenever you are studying ancient Rome, be much more careful of Wikipedia. uh, Because there are some... There's a large fan community of Ancient Realm out mm. there. They've got kind of the spirit of people who are like, "No, Christopher Nolan's Batman is the best one of all time." I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, all right, cool, cool, guys." I mean, yeah,
0: and sure. it's it's not it, a, not a debate. We have time to get into.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a different podcast, perhaps. um But it's that kind of same energy and they quote in Wikipedia all of these historians. So you feel like you're reading the voice of the primary sources instead of the voice of these people who are trying to argue that Rome is the best empire of all time. Um, But the problem is those elite historians are from one particular class, um, right? They're extraordinarily wealthy, socialite. Folks, uh, men who have all their own agendas that they're bringing to the table and they're writing their histories in conversation with other histories. Um, And so you can read on Wikipedia, somebody being like, oh, well, Cato said that slavery wasn't actually that bad. So it wasn't that bad. It's like, yeah, (laughs) because Cato had like 200 slaves, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so just be aware of that when you're uh, out there, if you're doing more research on the stuff we're talking about today or anything else, um, just be aware of that. Um, if you look at like the British museum or other kind of institutions, they're going to have curators who are a little bit less, um, I don't know, fan E hopefully, um, and get books and stuff instead, just on this particular topic. Okay. End of sidebar. Back to what we were saying. That's all going to um, be more important in a half OK, so she's holding a cup. Um, if you're wondering what the cup is full of, you're probably correct um, when it says full of abominations and the impurity of sexual immorality. That's probably what you think it is. Um, and then upon her forehead is a name written. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of the earth. We probably should have read in the KJV to get today. You know, if you're ever going to pull out the good old King James, the book of Revelation is kind of the place to lean into it. <laughs> um, But OK, so we're like, oh, great. It's her name. Uh, no, incorrect. So applying some cultural context here um, in ancient Rome, The way that you demarcate uh, sex workers out in public um, is you would put a band on their forehead and the band on their forehead is not their name because they're able to tell you that no problem. It's the name of the person who owns the brothel. It's the Mm -hmm. name of the, you know, of the pimp of the person who she's in the employ of. And so, Just that one fact, at least for me, blows open this section because her name is not Babylon the Great. She is owned by Babylon the Great. She is a slave belonging to the brothel, which is Babylon the Great. Um, And therefore, that other line as well, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth that's talking about Babylon, not her. It's the full title of the person who owns this archetypal brothel that we're talking about. And so it's not so much that she is this evil character, um, but instead she is under the control of the evil empire, right? And so all of a sudden, reading this pas- passage starts to look a little bit different. Um, so prostitutes uh, were slaves. There's two kinds. Um, there's porneis and there's heteroi. This section in the Greek over and over and over is going to say porneis, um, not heteroi. A heteroi... A he- can be a little bit higher class of a person. They're more like a courtesan. Um, They have more like romantic attachment with their client than a porneus does. A porneus is just um, a slave who uh, gains wealth on behalf of their owner through restitution, right? Um, And so zooming out on Roman slavery, 20% of the Roman population were slaves. Um, The different Figures would comment that they couldn't dress the slaves in a slave uniform because then when the slaves were out in the public arena, they would see how many of them were slaves Mm. (laughs) in revolt. So they're everywhere. Like we said, they're uh, prisoners of war for a military expansion and then the, you know, further generations as we go through time. Um, They would work in mines. There would be hundreds in a single affluent household. Um, and their treatment was pretty much as bad as you can possibly um imagine. So it's like if there were twenty percent of the population were them, why didn't they rebel more? um deterrence was off the charts, so we have all these little anecdotes written by all of those horrible historians who um you know don't see them as people because they weren't um thought of as people. they're thought of as being like way, way less percentage of a person um, with no ancestor and no um, progeny. Um, They were listed as equipment when they were planning out their projects, um, not as employees or workers, but just equipment like you need lumber, you need slaves. Um, They rampant random violence uh, they were the victims of all the times. Um, There's Stories about like Oh I was in the baths today And I thought a slave had touched me On the arm and so I turned around And stabbed him in the eye But then it turned out to be my friend Haha whoops <laughs> <laughs> like, well, okay, what a great story. Thanks for keeping that one. Um, If you're familiar with Roman art, lots of times the the slaves are portrayed in the nude and we're like, oh, well, I guess like they just had different social norms around nudity. No, they were kept that way um, as a form of humiliation and coercion into getting them to behave differently. We have these like really long lists of here's how to keep your slaves in line and keep them like, as degraded
0: as possible. And also maybe just like, so they couldn't hide weapons in their clothes. (laughs) There's
1: that too. Um, Yeah. In fact, Domitian uh, was killed by one of his slaves, which did happen occasionally, although it usually didn't go over well because then they would kill like 500 slaves all at the same time and crucify them um, in response. But anyway, he was killed by a slave who had his arm in a bandage in order to hide his extra weapon. And oh. he came up to Dermission and was like, Oh, I have these tablets that um has your assassination plot on it. Quick. you should read. Intermission was like, "Oh no, come to my room. I want to read them and then he t- took them, and the slave took out the uh knife, stabbed him uh, in the groin and uh they they died, so you know what a way to go <laughs> what
0: a way to go. Yeah.
1: But anyway, we've got lots of stories about feeding slaves to lampreys kind of for fun, which is a horrible way to die, very Game of Thrones, giant tanks of poisonous eels, you know. Um Ugh. so not not great. Um so if we reread this section with this in mind, um she's dressed up a lot. Um, we have accounts of um, if there was going to be a feast, and someone was going to be the object um, of the attention of the people at the feast, the host would dress up their slave um, in for that role. So that wouldn't have been unusual. And that might explain why they're wearing imperial purple, because of course, there weren't a lot of people in the imperial family, there weren't any who were pornes. There was one who might have been a heterai, but um that's probably just slander about again, those angry politicians being like, she goes down to the brothels and works there on the weekends. Um okay, so she's probably dressed up that way um on purpose. In fact, there were jewelry laws about how much jewelry women were allowed to wear, uh, because Rome was all about <laughs> controlling uh women in that particular way, which also, by the way, blows off the doors on some of those passages in the epistles where um, Peter and Paul are telling women, like, don't braid your hair and don't wear gold and don't wear uh, pearls, which, boy, oh, boy, do we like to ignore those passages while we um, blow up others, you know? Um, anyway, so that those sections are probably talking about don't make trouble in the Roman Empire. Don't attract attention by saying, like, I'm free in Christ to wear whatever I want and then your household gets punished because you broke the law by dressing too fancy yeah um okay so that could be why she's dressed up but so she's sitting there um you she has this cup which again is not the product most likely of her own making but rather other people's uh fluids and then it says that she's uh, drunk with the blood of the martyrs, right? Um haha, of course. That's of her own accord. Well, um I'm very happy if you don't know this, but oftentimes <laughs> victims are plied with alcohol in order to make things go better for everyone involved. Sure. Um and I think that would have been familiar to the early readers as well. Um, so what's the point then if if I'm saying she's not this evil character, um, you know, those women always out to get you with their cruel, cruel seductions? Um, what's the reading? Um, what's the interpretation of this section? Uh, I think that God slash the angel talking to John slash John, right? everybody who conspired together to write this, this scroll um, are being subversive. And they're s- using this picture to say, you know, who epitomizes Rome, you know, who epitomizes Babylon, you know, who symbolizes that uh, huge authority power structure in the world. It's not some like majestic eagle or whatever. It's not their um, incredible Caesar. It's a slave who is in the midst of being abused, right? Um, It's like, if a modern prophet was to say, you know what America is, America is this person, and then showed like some kid who's been working in the mines to get the trace uh, minerals to build our phones, right? That'd be like, oh, dang. Um, And we'd immediately get it. We would be like, well, (laughs) what an evil minor child that that must be. (laughs) No, we'd say, oh, no, this is a reflection of the desires, the greed, the materialism, the consumerism that we've been roped into. And they're calling out that the depth of that depravity, right, by utilizing this picture. Uh, And so... You know, justice for this poor woman. Um, true story. Once I was in Seattle walking around, and a woman was being carried on a palanquin, uh, which was titled, you know, the the name that this woman is usually called. Um, so that was scary. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but that's Seattle? Question mark? It goes. Um, so she's not this evil figure and john isn't saying you know who the evil empire really is it's this seductive woman and you need to watch out for these evil femme fatale characters um it's calling out the slavery and consumption that um that was so key to roman life and continues to be so key to our life we just miss it
0: Hmm. Hmm. yes i do have to quibble i'm not totally sure that everyone would get it if, uh, if we saw the picture of the slave boy in the mine, but <laughs> I think your point stands.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, sure. Sure. Uh, if people have eyes to see, they might see it.
0: Yeah. And I, I wonder, like, I think to some extent, like people are just totally oblivious. Uh, but I think there's also probably a lot of willful blindness to it. Hmm. Was that maybe the same sort of thing in Rome where, They kind of understand, but they intentionally ignore it. Or was it they were just so depraved that they just couldn't even see how it was wrong?
1: Um, I mean, we don't have a lot of early reception history of how did this go over? We only have records of like how Christianity spread or didn't spread Mm. in the Roman Empire. And so, you know, women being a big demographic of early Christianity would point to the direction of, well, women got it. <laughs> mm. And maybe other people were too offended, which Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended by me, right? So mm. um, that would be my, my only link to a guess. Um, maybe there's a source that I'm not familiar with. But um, the thing that's really the biggest bummer for me in this passage is that I would hope if this reading is true that then da da, 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 da da um Jesus would come in and you know free her, and she would join the ranks of the witnesses, but mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't say that that's what happens. it says that the beast tears her uh apart, which um is awful and I think is true about what happens to um you know for instance like we said the the kids mining those minerals for for our phones it's not like and then christianity came to the village and they all were freed and so i can keep buying my phones because
0: <laughs> right. i
1: support a missionary somewhere in africa um it's like no the the institution the system of slavery is still crushing people continually even as we um you know try to press kingdom forward uh and so i think that's That's present in that, but we're going to turn our eyes to a happier passage
0: well before we leave this passage oh, okay. i did come Go up ahead. with the marvel reference that i want to oh, use here. wonderful i'm i'm feeling the doctor strange in the multiverse of madness and oh. and i see it and i say why marvel <laughs> why?
1: <laughs> why why couldn't you invest in a better diction coach for benedict cumberbatch the real <laughs> and question? why
0: did he have to have the third eye
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Oh, yeah oh well
0: okay Revelation uh, 12.
1: There we go. Revelation 12. Let's see what's going on over here.
0: Should we do King James?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I i am a fan. It's but, uh, moody, you know?
0: Uh, I don't know. We'll see if I can get through this whole chapter. I believe in you. All right. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Verse one could fool me. I wouldn't have thought.
1: There you King go. King James. hmm
0: And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared for God, prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two (laughs) hundred and threescore (laughs) days.
1: Very specific.
0: I love it. Uh, And there and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the gray dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, the devil and Satan.
1: Yep. Different words.
0: Which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. <laughs> Woe to the inhabitant, the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time and when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child and how does this what does it translate as where is this verse 13
1: it's uh, the, the male
0: word, child it's
1: arsena um which just means the man
0: okay I guess um and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth and the dragon was Roth, Roth? Roth. Roth with the woman. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh,
1: is that the last line in the KJV?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh wow. In the in the Greek that I'm reading, it then says, and he stood upon the sand of the sea.
0: Yes. Yes, the the NET has verse 18. N I V does not fascinating no footnotes <laughs> saying why it's not there the testimony, blah 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 the standard critical texts of the greek new testament na28 and ubs5 both include the sentence as 1218 as do the rsv and nrsv
1: there we go <laughs> kjv just hates sand <laughs>
0: Other modern translations like the NASB and the NIV include the sentence at the beginning of
1: Mm 13.1. That makes sense.
0: Okay. So Uh, so it's it's, a placement issue. Yeah.
1: yeah. Checks out. Okay. So we could spend like a month plus just working through this, but uh, this series is not called Digging Way Down into uh, Revelation. It's called (laughs)
0: Digging Way Down. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's called The Forgotten Women, right? So we're going to focus on the details that have to do with this woman. So I have coalesced the points um her descriptors and uh we'll see what we can see okay so she's clothed with the sun the moon is beneath her feet she has a crown of 12 stars about her head she's in the act of giving birth when we first see her and a red seven-headed dragon lurks before her with 10 crowns seven horns and a third of the stars he's waiting to eat her son. However, when the baby arrives, the infant is snatched up to the throne of God. The celestial woman flees into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her where she might be nourished for a very specific long amount of time. <laughs> After a battle between the heavenly forces and the dragon, the dragon and his angels are thrown to earth. Search ensues for the celestial woman. It's revealed that the woman was gifted with the wings, probably of a vulture, according to our most recent bird scholarship. You know, I like to cause a bird controversy.
0: What is it saying here? It said it was an eagle,
1: a giant eagle. Yes. Um, Hmm. Insert. Lord the Rings joke here. Okay, so it's unclear whether she gets these wings when she first fled and still remains in the wilderness, or if she's now returning to the wilderness for a second time with the help of the wings. Um, the dragon then becomes an ophis, which means serpent, by the way, before being rendered back to dracon in verse 16, um, which is fascinating. And as an ophis, he vomits out water so as to overwhelm her, and the earth springs to the aid of the woman, swallows the torrent, angry that dracon leaves to search out her children. Okay, so who have you heard
0: this lady is? I don't think I've ever heard anything other than Mary.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh I think like the OG Marty material has more
0: Well, okay. <laughs> prior to Bema, I mean. Oh, sure. Okay. Outside so, of Bema.
1: So, you're right. The Catholics follow the Church Father Epiphanius. And say it's Mary. She flees into the wilderness after the birth of her son. Um, Right? She goes to Egypt. Is
0: Egypt considered the wilderness?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, wilderness is really just the word desert. So... Egypt has lots of desert. Uh, The Protestants, of course, aren't excited about that. And so they follow the church father, Hippolytus, and they say, no, 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 it's actually the church and the kid is the martyrs, right? Because they're being pursued by Satan. Um, That's a little bit interesting because, of course, there's a third woman in in Revelation, the Nymphae, the, the bride of Christ, who is definitely called the church. And so it's like... Okay, we don't have three distinct figures if you try to follow that that one, but I'm not totally against it. Um, I've also heard people say that she, uh, scholars, not just random folks on the street, uh, that she is the Mashiach, that she's the Messiah and the kid is her church, which is very interesting. And I've heard Mr. Shlomo himself say that she's Eve Um, Chava, fighting a dragon, which I love. So there's lots of voices at the table with great ideas. The word is living and active, partially, because there are so many good, fresh perspectives, people with the spirit within them, um, bringing good stuff to the text. So I'm going to put out an idea, again, based on the premise that I think that details mean something. And the Holy Spirit wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and think of something really pretty and cool. (laughs) Read it down. (laughs) (laughs) So many stars. Uh, But that, again, it would have meant something to the original listeners of the text. Okay. So, the celestial woman is adorned with the sun, moon, and stars. Fascinating. Um, So, I'm going to argue... Very specifically That this woman Is uh, representing ISIS Bum 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 um, and not because God's people were expected to worship Isis or believe that Isis is a real uh, goddess that is supposed to be worshipped, but rather that John and the spirit are borrowing cultural touchstones that would have been extremely familiar. Isis, of course, spread from Egypt, but there was a lot of syncretism around the Mediterranean in the first and second century, um, and her cult was huge in... In Rome, Um, Egypt was, like, really admired uh, as, like, the jewel of um, the world in some ways. Uh, Cleopatra VII, the the famous one, is extraordinarily wealthy. And so the Romans, who liked to borrow everybody's gods, right, they stole the Greek gods. They also stole Turkey's gods. Um, They also stole Egyptian gods. So... um, this figure was known all over the mediterranean you can find little temples to isis in unexpected areas all over okay um so why do i go with isis well let's see so if she's adorned with the sun moon and stars apulius second century bc is a novelist he wrote this uh famous very entertaining novel called the golden ass here for it um <laughs> I uh, you know you laughed so you're the amateur one not me. Uh, <laughs> well, I
0: laugh because you're here for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, fine. Um anyway, so in that book, uh the protagonist has been transformed into a donkey. Uh he meets Isis and she's wearing a black robe Embroidered with glittering stars around a full moon So here's the primary source We love primary sources um, So here's what Apuleius says Just above her brow was a disc in the form of a mirror Resembling the light of the moon In one of her hands she wore serpents And the other blades of corn Her robe was a fine silk Shimmering in diverse colors Sometimes yellow, sometimes rose Sometimes flamey I love that That's probably orange Orange. They didn't have a good word for um, orange until post-medieval era. Hmm. And sometimes, which sore troubled my spirit, dark and obscure. Here and there, the stars peeked out, and in the middle of them was placed the moon, which shone like a flame of fire. So that sounds relatively familiar, right, compared to our text? Yes. Yes, very good. Okay. So- By the
0: way, I'm going to link uh, the Wikipedia page for ISIS. We talked about it back in episode 300. Uh, but I still, my instinct is not to think of the, uh, the, what, well, I guess you said it's the cult? Yeah. Or the sp- specific god is named Isis.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So why else do I think that this woman is supposed to represent Isis. Uh, here's why. Her great nemesis, who forces Isis to flee into the wilderness, is also a fiery, many-headed dragon. Um, <laughs> so building our case here, his name is Typhon in the Greek pantheon, and he's based on the Egyptian uh, god Seth. Uh, and Hesiod's Theogony describes Typhon in the following way. Um, Earth bore her youngest child Typhon of the love of Tartarus by the aid of golden Aphrodite. Strength was with his hands and all that he did. And the feet of the strong God were untiring from his shoulders, drew a hundred heads, grew, not drew, grew a hundred heads of a snake, a fearful dragon with a dark flickering tongues. And from under the brows of his eyes and his marvelous heads flashed fire and fire burned from his heads as he glared. We've even got more opportunities for Marvel jokes, right? Um, So in the myth of Isis, Isis hears that Typhon, this many-headed dragon, has deceived her love, Osiris, by locking him in a chest. Um, And he throws that chest into the Nile. Bummer. Bummer. Um, So after questing for this chest for quite some time, Isis discovers that the chest was cast out of the water into a tree in Byblos which is not actually Babylon it's um, in the Levant so don't get too excited there. But the tree has grown up around the chest and Osiris and is now a pillar in the house of the king. So Isis disguises herself as a wet nurse, might remind us of Yechevet in um, the Moshe story, right? Yes. She disguises herself as a wet nurse and the house of the king, and she grows wings. Ding ding ding! As she mourns the dead of Cyrus, she is able to free his body from the tree. Phew! What a relief! And consequently, gives birth to a premature and weak baby Horus. Like the celestial woman, she immediately hides her child to the east of Alexandria. So again, desert. Um, And in her absence, Typhon finds the body of Osiris and he cuts him into 14 pieces and scatters him in the delta. Isis sails through the marshes in a papyrus boat um, to try to find Osiris's pieces. And she utilizes her magical powers to raise him back from the underworld. He rises again and begins to train Horus to defeat Typhon. Okay, so similarities here. Isis is similar in appearance to the celestial woman of Revelations 12. They both face danger from a draconic monster, although neither of them face off with the monster themselves with any active aggression. Right. We don't see like her pull out a giant sword in Revelation 12. It's up to Michael. Right. Um... Both give birth to children without the immediate presence or participation of a man, um, right? It does, which you can read more about the Isis myth there. I do not feel like getting uh, into it; it's gross uh, in the myth. Um, but both abandon the child with the sense that the child is in danger from the snake-like beast, which is pretty anti—you know, maternal instinct. Um, but both inhabit the wilderness. In an interim season and are briefly winged. And in both stories, water is a tool of the chaotic nemesis who frustrates the aims of the women. In neither story do the women um, do anything about the continued actions of the antagonist or about the water, but they make their way forward regardless. OK, so again, Yohanan, John, is not hoping that we worship these pagan figures. Um, I don't think that's why she's in the text, but he's calling on the relevant, uh, noble, majestic, supernatural imagery for a reason. And he's placing ISIS here on the good side of the oppressed early Christians. So why might that be? Hmm. Hmm.
0: Do you want me to have an answer?
1: If you have an answer, I'm curious to hear Uh,
0: it. I don't You don't have
1: to. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so why, oh, why has he put them here? Well, the first idea would be um, what I already mentioned. Um, John is motivated and God, of course, through him is motivated in the same way that Jesus was to convince his people not to become agents of political violence. Right. That temptation was always there um, for the Jewish people and then for the oppressed um, Christian minority that if I could just go murder the emperor everything would be better. (laughs) If I could just overthrow this governor, um, we wouldn't be persecuted so much. Guys, I could save everybody. I could accomplish such a great thing if we just, you know, call on our zealot ancestry here a little bit and, you know, reclaim the seat of power and the seat of government for the Christian um, people. Doesn't it all resound in our particular era, right? Um, And so, I think that's potentially a first reason that John loops this this figure in, because she doesn't take on Satan herself, um, the Diabolos, the, the dragon. Instead, it's a spiritual battle, right? Paul says we don't uh, battle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces, and that's how we're supposed to engage with them, not by, you know, stowing aboard a ship, sneaking into Rome trying to stab somebody um that's what empire does and that's how they overthrow themselves all the time they'll take care of it
0: (laughs) well and i like that statement like the great dragon was cast out that old serpent
1: Mm, that old serpent
0: like sure it's a different it's a different person this time it's a different you know it's a different pagan god it's a different empire it's a different Mm. but it's the same thing that we've experienced this whole time through the
1: ages Um, but I'm going to also say alongside that point that he's pulling on Isis for a very specific reason. Um, Isis was a mom, right? So she has Horus and this is a big deal because we think of our top Greek, uh, gods, um, we've got Aphrodite goddesses, excuse me. We've got Aphrodite, um, who is love. We've got Artemis, who's not, you know, very familial figure. We, <laughs> She's not at all. Um, we've got Hera, who's kind of like the evil mom, right? We've got Athena. Emphasis certainly is not on family for her. And so for a lot of average um, women in the Roman Empire, you don't feel like... <laughs> most days, most likely, um, you're looking for someone who's more like Demeter, right? More like, um, Uh, a maternal goddess figure. And so that was one of the reasons Isis became so popular. She was faithful to her husband, right? Even after he died, she went and sought him out. She was not just like, oh, I guess I'll go marry someone new. She went and pursued him and rescued him and um, had a child and saved her child, right? So she's much easier to connect to, um, the academics theorize, than maybe uh, Athena advising people on the battlefield does on a daily basis and so from our mainstream perhaps evangelical background um, motherhood is a very expected part of women's life Um, and so hearing like oh there's a mom included it's like well sure that's what women are supposed to be doing um but despite the various conflicts over sexual ethics that we have today, the early Christian world and the biblical world of the epistles in the first and second se- century was highly occupied with a different set of uh, questions about sexual eth- ethics than we are today. So what were they all jacked up about back then, Brent? What is Paul always... Um, chipping in his opinion, his two cents on
0: when sexual immorality in general,
1: that was a part of it, right? Because Roman culture was very strong, um, which had all sorts of, you know, wild festivals and all the, all the Roman stuff. But Paul chips in all the time to say, look, if it was up to me, you wouldn't,
0: you wouldn't get married,
1: right? You wouldn't get married. The, uh, the main conflict in early Christianity about such sexual ethics everybody agreed you weren't supposed to be going to orgies and committing bestiality and everything but the thing that they were arguing about was whether marriage is okay at all which again is pretty divorced ah, divorce from our modern idea about what's you know what they were really concerned about so we have all these stories in the early church um accounts of women throwing off their engagements so that they were free to go preach the gospel. A super common thing would be that a woman is betrothed to some nasty Roman or a perfectly fine Roman, but she tells her father, no, I'm not going to marry him. Um, and so she gets thrown in the Colosseum or in jail because she's not submitting to the will of her father. Again, in the Roman Empire, um, fathers had the power to kill their kids whenever they wanted Um, it wasn't thought of as murder it was you know just private business yeah which also by the way illuminates we think of like honor killings as like a very middle eastern bad thing but it was very Roman Um, so one of the early apparently
0: all the way up into Britannia based on your accent
1: (laughs) you know everybody fussy has like the (laughs) Queen's English we know this come on um the Acts of Paul, and not a good accent, by the way. Um, the Acts of Paul and Thecla is a pretty famous early account um which talks about Paul uh, and his disciple, kind of. It's someone who wants to become a, a missionary alongside him, Thecla. Um, and that exact thing happens to her. And she says, no, I'm not going to marry this guy that I'm supposed to marry because I need to be free to preach the gospel. And this, the problem is Roman marriage was a very narrow, confining, ownership-based relationship. And so the idea that you could both be married and go and spread kingdom is antithetical to their idea of what marriage is, because to be married means uh, in the Roman household's Codes to be upholding the dignity and the business of your man, the end period. And so the idea that you could go and do something else um, was radical. And so in the early church for women, it was like, well, of course, I'm not going to be married if I'm going to go do anything. Um, right? One of the words, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, S Y Z G. Any guesses? Um, for missionary pairs is uh, the same word that gets used for gladiatorial pairs, right? That doesn't seem very domestic. Mm. <laughs> but um, these women who go out, uh, as we looked in our last episode, and and pairs of men and male and female pairs, um, God calls them gl- gladiatorial pairs, which is again the subversive rather than violence. What do we do? We use our words. To spread good news. Um, so this is the big struggle. And in the Acts of Paul and Thecla, it doesn't have a happy ending-ish. She goes to the Colosseum and it says that she like transforms into a man uh, before she gets eaten by... The uh, I think it's an animal in the Colosseum. Um, and that was because, again, their ideas of womanhood were so narrow and confining that like to be brave was to be a man. We have that in lots of um, other early um, accounts of Jesus's teachings, like when Andrew or no, it's not Andrew, it's Peter. Peter is always yelling at like Mary Magdalene in these early accounts and being like, why is she here? Why is she allowed to teach? Um, and Andrew will say, if Jesus has said that she's allowed to be here, then who are you to say anything else? Um, But then sometimes Jesus will give a teaching like women are actually like men, (laughs) which to us is like, what are you even talking about? But within their worldview, um, again, to be a woman was to be less than a person. And so if Jesus is affirming the personhood of women Um, in these cultural accounts, right? They're not in the Bible, um, probably for a a good reason. But so in these cultural accounts, Jesus is saying um, that to have personhood, to have agencies is to be a man. Um, And so in the midst of all of this milieu of people saying, no, I don't want to get married. um, And people saying um, that marriage isn't good, right? We have this in Catholicism through the monastic movement for a long time, right? Um, Even continuing until now, although we'll see if Pope Francis makes any, makes any more (laughs) earthquakes over there. It's always fun to see what he's up to. Um, But, Isis, then, is being harnessed by John to see, look, here is a powerful woman, an effective woman, a heroine in the story who is able to rescue her spouse, save her child from being eaten by the dragon, right? Um, she is a maternal character. She is able to um, maybe not kill Satan by herself, sure. <laughs> um, she's able to protect her family, um, to survive, to put a a fight to stay alive as a um, faithful woman practicing fidelity within her marriage and love for her kids. Right. And so he brings in this household domestic character to say, just because you're married, just because you have a husband, just because you have kids, doesn't mean that you're cut out of the work of kingdom coming, right? The work of pushing back against uh, the darkness, the spiritual forces against Satan. Um, Moms, too, have a role to play. Um, Their work is still glorious, even if they're not taking on Typhon directly. They might feel like Elijah under the bush or in the cave trying to run and stay alive. In the midst of persecution, right? Because he's the character uh, before Jesus, who goes out in the desert like Moshe, you know, and he gets ministered to by angels and provided for out there. Um, so, in the midst of your desert, moms um, or wives who uh, might not feel like their work is central to kingdom. John still says um, that there is work to do uh, and, and power and authority um, that is still palpable in even uh, that setting when we uh, ally ourselves with, with God, right? When we partner with him. Um, And so, how nice. In this whole series, we've had these different women who are extraordinary in different ways, who are off doing things. They're heralds. They're. you know, they're rallying the troops like Arsino, they're um, being Deborah, they're being bards and sages and doing all these things. Here at the very end, we have John and uh, God, of course, through him saying, you know, what also is beautiful and good is the work of domesticity, the work of raising kids, the work of being a wife. And they're included in the work of Kingdom Coming.
0: And would the would the crown of twelve stars be the twelve tribes and like
1: that would be a a book that you should write
0: <laughs> a book that I, yeah probably not that much um
1: I mean there are so many different there's different symbols all through this you know the number of days that she's out there that I'm just not equipped yeah, to talk about um, sure the thing that I pointed out about the stars is she's dressed the same way Isis is
0: mm, yeah. Well, yeah, because I was just thinking like whatever, whatever she does as a mother, like that is also like what the children she raises, like what they go on to do. Right. She is crowned with their achievements as well, like as the one who like enabled them to raise them. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, there's, you know, an infinite amount of symbolism to explore potentially, but I will not be writing a book for the record. (laughs) At least not about that. That's uh, probably the last book I would want to write.
1: What's the first book?
0: I I have no idea, but I okay. have, this, it's not going to be this.
1: Well, sign me up. I I look forward to it someday. Uh, it would be called "Putting Up with Marty, Josh, <laughs> Reed, and L: A Diary from My Time."
0: Uh, on yeah, maybe maybe I will write a memoir. <laughs> oh that seems far more likely. Okay, well. That's the series. Then. That's the series. The anthology.
1: The anthology. So many women who we didn't have time to celebrate and to learn from, but we did our best for this particular moment in this particular season. Yes. Maybe we'll have a uh, season two of Forgotten Women at some point.
0: <laughs> Perhaps. Okay. Um, well, you can get a hold of L at lgroverfricks at gmail.com. And you can get a hold of me at cohost at gmail.com. And uh, Marty doesn't need any email, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll find him if you really need to. Find him in person on his tour. Yes. Um, Okay, so go to baymontastapshub.com. We've got a couple items in the show notes today, but uh, I think it was the first episode... Elle, you gave some book recommendations, so if you wanna,
1: oh man, yeah, the book recommendations list on Women in the Bible is extremely long. Um, it's not like we we're just pulling from one or two two authors, but um, this week, yeah, this week I just said read books. I didn't say which ones.
0: <laughs> yes, there were uh, one or, one or two books that I think you recommended in the first episode. So anyway, great, plenty of plenty of options to dig into if you want to go further, and then um, yeah we'll be back soon with uh
1: with Josh
0: yes well we do we'd have one other one other episode um standalone in between but then oh, Josh okay. will be back with the tabernacle
1: so. well I'm excited about the tabernacle
0: all right thanks for joining us on the bama podcast we'll talk to you again soon bye